Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, in which we look at visions in the Bible in order to discern God's vision for different areas of our lives. Here's Pastor Nick. Joseph, he got nothing. He got no vision. He got no answer. He got no explanation. He got silence. And it makes you ask the question, where was God when all of those things were happening to Joseph? Where was God when Joseph was in the pit begging to be rescued? Isn't that the question we always ask when something terrible happens? Where was God Right? Where was God when that calamity hit, when that situation hit? Where was God when I prayed for a miracle or a rescue, but none came? What's interesting is that in Joseph's story, we do get the answer to that question. Where was God when that happened? But the answer doesn't come for 20 years. 20 years. He doesn't get the answer until finally it becomes clear after 20 years that God had actually been with Joseph every single step of the way the entire time. Every single thing that happened to Joseph from slavery, being sold into slavery, to going to prison for false accusations. It was all part of God's plan. And God's plan to do what? To save Joseph's life, but not only Joseph's life, to save also the lives of many other people, including his brothers, and ultimately, as as I'll explain, ultimately to save us. You see, despite all appearances to the contrary, what we realize at the end of Joseph's life is that God never abandoned Joseph, not even for a moment. Even in the silence, God was with him. Joseph ends up becoming a prominent official in Egypt. And during his time in office in Egypt, there's a great famine. And and Joseph is able to use his position in the Egyptian government to save many lives, including the lives of his brothers. And one of Joseph's brothers is a guy named Judah. And it is from Judah and his lineage that later Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will be born. In other words, back in Dothan, This place where Joseph's brothers attacked him and Joseph cried out and prayed and asked for a rescue and none came. If Joseph's prayer had been answered the way that he wanted it to be answered, if God had saved him from that situation, then years later, both Joseph and all of his brothers die in the famine and the Messiah doesn't come into the world and we are lost as well. See, what you realize in the end of Joseph's story is that God was right there the entire time, silently orchestrating every single event, even the slavery, even the prison, even the unanswered prayer. That was part of the plan, right? And many others, ultimately, to save us, to save Joseph by bringing Jesus into the world. See, that's why Joseph says at the end of his life, he says this incredible phrase, that at the, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, he says to his brothers in retrospect, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives. Here's what we learn from both of these stories that take place in the city of Dothan. The story of Elisha and the story of Joseph. Here's what we learn. With God, silence is not absence. Do you need to hear that today? With God, silence is not absence. And sometimes when God seems most absent, that's when he's doing his most profound work. 
See, the eyes of Elisha were open to see what was going on. Joseph's eyes were opened only 20 years later. But in both cases, it was true. And friends, the same is true in your life as well. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. Listen, in your situation, God is not absent. God is not absent. Even if you can't see how God is working in this situation, even if your prayers aren't being answered the way you hoped they would be, you can be assured that what God says is true, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These two stories that take place in Dothan, in both cases, God was present and God was working even though people couldn't see it. And you can be assured of this, that whatever situation you find yourself in today, there is a lot more going on than just what you can see. So what might God be doing in your situation? Well, that brings us to our second point, which is the second kind of step in developing God's vision for your situation. And that is this, recognizing God's purpose, recognizing God's purpose in your situation. In Joseph's life, we see that many of the situations he found himself in, whether as a slave or as a prisoner, or later on as a government official, those things didn't just happen by random chance. Those are situations that were orchestrated and ordained by God. And in God's divine providence, God put Joseph in each of those situations for a purpose. And ultimately, God used all of those situations for Joseph's good and God's greater purpose, right? God's bigger purpose, which was bigger than just Joseph and his comfort and his life. See, many of the situations that Joseph was in were uncomfortable. It's not comfortable to be in prison. It's not comfortable to be a slave. But God had a purpose with them. There was a time in Joseph's life, however, right, when he did have a a comfortable situation. He had a high-paying job. He lived in a nice house as a high-ranking official. That's a pretty comfortable situation to be in. And yet God's purpose, even in Joseph's comfort, wasn't just that Joseph would have a cush job and not have anything to worry about. God had a bigger purpose than just his comfort, even in his comfort. It was so that Joseph could use that position, that opportunity to do God's work in other people's lives and in the world. And here's why I bring this up. Because as human beings, our tendency, our tendency is to be focused on our own comfort and security. I would go so far as to say, I think that we we tend to be kind of obsessed with it. I mean, you can even tell. I mean, a lot of our prayers, aren't they? They're for comfort and security, right? And, And, you know, we tend to think about ourselves, ourselves and maybe our tribe, the people who are directly connected to us. But many times our vision for our lives and vision for our situations doesn't extend beyond ourselves. We tend to be obsessed with comfort and security. And as a result, you know what happens is we can fall into one of two traps. Number one is that we can fail to have a vision for our lives which is bigger than just comfort and security. That's one of the traps we can fall into. The other one is this. We project these expectations and this desire onto God so that we become convinced that God's primary role and function in our lives is that he exists to provide us with comfort and security. And when when we believe that, what happens is that if you experience a situation in your life where you are not comfortable, where you are not secure, then you tend to look at God as if he has failed you, like he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. And the other result is this. We, we view comfort and security as the end-all, be-all purpose and goal of human existence, right? Like, if I could just get that and then hold on to it, that's what the purpose of my life is. We see it as the goal of life rather than a means to a greater goal. 
But remember, Joseph, he gets this cush, high-paying job as a government official in Egypt. God's purpose with putting Joseph in that place was not primarily that Joseph would be comfortable and secure. It was so that through that, he would have an opportunity to do God's work in other people's lives and in the world. See, the comfort and security Joseph had was a fringe benefit. It wasn't the purpose for which God gave him that situation. See, every situation you face in life presents you with certain challenges and it presents you with certain opportunities. There are opportunities even in the calamities. And God has a purpose both with the challenges and with the opportunities. I don't know what situation you're facing in your life right now. I don't know if this is a time of tragedy or hardship or whether it's a time when everything is going great. Maybe for some of you, that's where you're at. Everything's firing on all cylinders. Work has fallen into place. Your relationships are good, right? Everything seems to be going well. Well, whatever situation you're in right now, I want to challenge you today to be asking yourself, God, what are the unique opportunities that this situation presents me with? What are the unique opportunities? And how do you want me to use this situation for your purposes? You know, Paul the Apostle was an amazing example of this kind of thinking. Throughout Paul's writings, you see this attitude, you see this understanding where Paul is always looking for how God might want to use every situation he was in for God's greater purposes. So for example, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this thing he had which he calls a thorn in his flesh. It was some kind of physical affliction which he suffered with. And he says that he begged God, he pleaded with God to take that away, to heal him from that affliction. And God said no. Now why did God say no? Well, Paul explains that God was using that affliction in his life to keep him humble, to keep him dependent on God, and to shape his character. Why? So that God could use him even more in the world, so he could be a more useful vessel for God in the world. In other words, God had a purpose with Paul's life, even with his suffering. And that purpose was bigger than just Paul being comfortable. Friends, God has a purpose with your life. Do you know that? And his purpose with your life is grander and bigger than just your personal comfort. Here's the thing. The promise of the gospel is that one day all striving and conflicts will cease. One day there will be no more disease, no more pain, no more death. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes forever. And for those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus, we have comfort and security in him that no one and nothing can ever take away. We have security in Christ that nothing can separate us from the love of God and nothing can take us from the inheritance that is kept for us in heaven secure. We have comfort in Christ through our relationship with God through him. But guys, physical comfort and a sense of physical security, that should not be a primary goal of our lives here on earth. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here from Whitefields Church in Longmont. We're excited to announce the Northern Front Range Calvary Chapel Men's Conference taking place on May 21st and 22nd, hosted at Whitefields Community Church. This year's theme is A New Man from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll begin the conference on Friday, May 21st at 6.30 p.m. with a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship and will end on Saturday early afternoon with a steak lunch. The cost is $30 per person and spaces are limited, so register soon at whitefieldschurch.com under events. We look forward to seeing you there. Now back to today's message. I, I, like, to, I like this saying, maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. 
A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for. A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for. Ships are made to be taken out of the harbor, to be on the sea, to complete missions, right? To do things. God made you for more than just comfort and security. Do you know that? God made you for more than comfort and security. His purpose with your life is that you would make an impact, that you would be used for, by him for a purpose that really matters, something that matters forever, not just for a few moments, for something that is bigger than yourself. When God called Abraham, you remember what he told him? He said, Abe, if you will take my hand and walk with me, I will bless you and I will make you great. Then what did he say? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless you and I will make you great, not just so you can be great and be blessed, but so that you can be a blessing and through you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Do you get what I'm saying? He's saying, I'm blessing you, but not just for your own sake. I'm blessing you so that you can be a conduit for blessing, not a reservoir that just collects it, right? And so the purpose of that is that other people will be blessed through him. It's bigger than just Abraham, in other words. See, this is what I love about what Paul writes when he writes to the Philippians. Let me just give you a little background before I explain. Paul wrote to the Philippians when he was under arrest. He was being held as a prisoner in Rome. He was being held as a prisoner in Rome as a result of his missionary work and his endeavors for the gospel. Prior to being arrested, Paul spent 10 years as a missionary traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel, planting churches, raising up leaders to do the same. And then... Of course, there were people who didn't like that, and people wanted to stop him and sideline him, and they succeeded. And the way they succeeded was they accused him, and they told the Roman officials and stuff that Paul was an insurrectionist, that he was a rebel, that he was leading people against Caesar, you know, to worship this other king named Jesus, which was, which was in part true. He was leading people to Jesus, and Jesus is a king, but he wasn't an insurrectionist. Anyway, Paul ends up getting arrested. He ends up getting sidelined. And not only that, but he ends up in a kind of corrupt judicial system that keeps him imprisoned for years beyond his trial. He never gets a fair trial. And so what does Paul do? For years, he's sidelined, just hanging out, doing nothing. Then finally, he appeals his case to the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire, which was Caesar himself, and it was his right as a citizen. They take him to Rome. That's how he's now in Rome, awaiting trial. He's been under arrest in different kinds of jails and house arrest for several years at this point. And at this point, he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. He has no freedom. Now, with that in mind, consider what Paul wrote to the Philippians during his arrest. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the furtherance of the gospel. What? That's a, that's a bit weird, right? What things have happened to Paul that have served the furtherance of the gospel? Imprisonment? False accusations? Corruption? Most people would look at those things and they would say, those are the things that are keeping Paul away from spreading the gospel and advancing the gospel. Paul says, no, all of those things have served for the advancement of the gospel. And I want you to know it, he says. All of those things have served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on to explain in the next two verses. He says this, look, because of where I've been and what's happened to me, this gospel is spread through the imperial guard, those soldiers who serve in Caesar's house. And my imprisonment has caused other people to become more bold and speak the word of God without fear. Paul was able to see his situation with God's eyes. He was able to see the unique opportunities that this situation afforded him and provided him. And he believed that God had a purpose, even with this. See, being under house arrest obviously 
made Paul be under a certain degree of limitation, doesn't it, right? Like he's limited in what he can do. But on the other hand, it also gave Paul unique opportunities. One of the things it gave him was time. See, when you're traveling around all the time, going from city to city, planting churches, you don't have a lot of time. Now, that's all Paul has, tons of time. So what does Paul do? He picks up the pen, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes four letters while he's in prison, right? Four letters called the prison epistles, which are now books in our Bible and the New Testament. For the past 2,000 years, literally billions of people have read those letters over and over. So yeah, Paul's imprisonment has served the furtherance of the gospel, hasn't it? But there's another unique opportunity that's presented to Paul through his chains, through his imprisonment. Paul is chained to Roman soldiers 24 hours a day on eight-hour shifts. They swap out, right? So three times a day, he gets a fresh soldier, right? Like fresh meat. And Paul's opinion, he doesn't see himself as being chained to them. He sees these guys as being chained to him, right? Like he's like, oh, nice. Oh, yeah, I have something to talk about, and you can't go anywhere, right? This is like an evangelist dream. You're chained to me, and I get to choose what we're going to talk about. And you can't go anywhere, right? Like, you can try and scoot over, but you're only going to be like two more feet away, right? And we're going to talk about what I want to talk about today. Guess what we're going to talk about? Same thing we talked about yesterday. Remember what that was? We're going to talk about Jesus. And when that guy's shift is over, they're going to bring in a new guy, and we can start all over again, and we can go on. I'll bet Paul's biggest difficulty there in prison was finding time to sleep because he just wanted to talk the whole time. I bet, you know, that's his biggest struggle. Why am I going to sleep? Because I got all these guards. I want to tell them about Jesus. Eight hours. I'm going to use every minute I got. Obviously, some of these guards, right, they're becoming Christians. We can tell that from what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 and in Philippians chapter 4. He tells the, the believers that he's writing to, he says, hey, these guys that I'm chained to, they're becoming Christians, and they're the guys who serve in Caesar's palace. They're becoming believers, and they say to tell you guys hi because they're Christians now too. Think about it. If Paul had gone to Caesar's palace and knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, they answer the door, and he's like, hi, my name's Paul, and I'd like to talk to you about your sins and your eternal salvation. They just slam the door in his face and escort him off the property, right? But now he's smuggled himself in, and they can't do anything about it, and he's got him for eight hours a day. These are the same people who work in Caesar's household, right? And later on, Paul the apostle, he's going to get the opportunity to talk to Caesar himself, all because of his chains, this uncomfortable situation, the situation he would have never chosen for himself, being wrongfully accused, suffering corruption in a judicial system, Paul's able to look at this situation through God's eyes and see the opportunities in the calamity. Friends, God has placed you in a situation for a purpose. I don't know what that situation is, but whatever it is, there's a purpose in it. God has put you there in that situation for a reason. And I challenge you to seek God to give you his vision for that situation. Develop his vision so that you can see your situation the way that he sees it, the way he wants you to see it. God has put you in the family you're in for a purpose. If you're a parent, he's given you those kids for a reason in your relationships, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. God has placed you there for a purpose. In your hardships and in your successes, God has a purpose. And his purpose is bigger than just your personal comfort and security. Each of those situations presents you with unique challenges and unique opportunities. And God wants to use both the challenges and the opportunities in your life for his greater purposes. To work in you and to work through you in the world. I want to challenge you to be asking God to show you his purpose with your situation so that you can act and respond in ways that bring honor and glory to him as well as blessing and benefit to others. 
This brings us to our third and final point in developing God's vision for your situation. That is this, recognizing God's power in your situation. Come back with me in your minds to 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha's servant, his eyes are opened and he sees the multitude of angels, chariots of fire all around them on the hills. You know what that is? That's an image of power. What it communicated to Elisha's servant was, no matter how powerful the army of the Syrians is, God is more powerful. God has more chariots and their chariots of fire and chariots of fire win every day, right? And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says something really interesting that actually is... Brings, shed some light on this story here in 2 Kings chapter 6. He tells the Ephesians that, he says, my prayer for you is that God would open the eyes of your heart, that he would enlighten the eyes of your heart, the spiritual eyes, so that you would be able to see the hope that you have in Jesus, but also so that you could see the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He says it's the same power by which God raised Jesus from the dead. That same power God has towards you. He shows you that same power. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead lives in us through Jesus Christ. When you feel that you lack the strength to go on, when you feel that you lack the strength to do what God is calling you to do, when you feel that you lack the strength to resist temptation, know this, when you are weak, he is strong and he will be strong on your behalf. As we read earlier, he is with you and he will uphold you. He will throw all of his power, all of his might behind you when you need it to strengthen you when you are weak as you wait on him. So when it comes to Elijah and his servant, the story found in 2 Kings chapter 6, it speaks to us about perspective. Perspective on the situations we face in our lives. But this story also speaks to us about one other thing that's really important. That is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. When Jesus was crucified, as he was hanging on that cross... There was something happening that couldn't be seen with the human eye. There was something happening. As Jesus, the man, was suffering and dying physically, in the unseen spiritual realm, what was happening was that God was placing all of my sins and all of your sins upon him. And he was taking the judgment that we deserve for the sins that we have committed. Jesus' suffering wasn't merely physical. It was spiritual. In fact, that was the true suffering. That's why he cried out in agony saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered the cosmic effects of being forsaken by God on our behalf so that we could be embraced by God, reconciled to God, and live in relationship with him forever. On the cross, Jesus was treated as we deserved so that we can now be treated as Jesus deserved. He was treated as we deserve so we can now be treated as he deserves. As children of God, as those who are righteous, as those who are justified before God, as those who walk in relationship with God unashamed. In order for us to understand and appreciate our need for a Savior and what Jesus did for us to redeem us, we need God to open our eyes and remove our spiritual blindness. What happens when you embrace the gospel, God is opening your eyes. You once were blind, but now you see. And as a result of having your eyes open, you begin to see everything else in a different perspective as well. You begin to see everything else in a different lens as well. You begin to see things in light of the love of God and the work of Jesus on your behalf. And when that happens, you begin to see the situations in your life in a whole new way as well. 
May God give us his vision for our situations. May he open your eyes spiritually so that you understand and embrace the gospel and through it you see everything else. That you would recognize his presence, his purpose, and his power in your situations. That's my prayer for you today. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves your people. Lord, thank you that you are a God who opens blind eyes. Lord, where we experience spiritual blindness, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes in our situations. Lord, to see the opportunities, even in the calamities. Lord, would you help us that we would walk with you, that we would see your presence, your purpose, and your power in every situation that we face, and that we might respond, Lord, for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, we need your strength to do that. We need your power, but thank you that you promise it to us. Thank you that you uphold us. Lord, help us to walk in that relationship with you with eyes wide open. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.